that related to this. So Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to focus on one verse here tonight. And, uh, and as I said a while ago, for many, many years, I've had, a, I've had a great interest in this one verse. It's just so important. One of my very favorite series of messages that I ever did was from chapter 2, verse 5, down through verse 11. And uh, all through those verses, it speaks of Christ, of course, and, uh, and, it's, and how that, you know, in us having the mind of Christ changes the way that we relate to one another and everything we do in life. And uh, part of the sad thing about the flood was uh, I lost those notes and uh, in addition to a whole bunch of other stuff that's gone forever. But uh, uh, but the good news is I still have the Word of God and it never changes. So, And even if I had those notes, uh, I had no plans whatsoever in using those notes for this message or if we go into uh, a series of four or five messages, uh, I still would not have used those notes. But... Uh, Tonight, we're just focusing on verse number 5, and I'll refer to several other passages that relate to this, but this is our key verse tonight, where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to start by just stating the obvious, which is we need the mind of Christ because what we think determines what we do. Our beliefs affect our behavior. And we can't live the life of Christ unless we have the mind of Christ, because in having the mind of Christ, it enables us to live in the manner of Christ. Now, the reason that is so very important is because of our, our likeness to Him as we grow spiritually, as we mature spiritually, our likeness to Him becomes the light that we reflect to the world. About the worst thing a Christian can do, I think, uh, uh, you know, is to, is to pretend, to try to make your light shine instead of letting it shine. And we have an awesome responsibility to the world that we live in to be lights in this world. And uh, the only way we're going to reflect that light is, is by the light we receive from Christ. And, and, and that enables us to do what he told us to do in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 where he said, Let your light so shine. That little word so is very important. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, God forbid that we live out the length of our life here on earth and others never see Christ in us. Every Christian should strive to express Christ to the, to the world and... Uh, Whenever I say that, you know, I'm not talking about just like a, a, a picture, for example. I'm talking about more like a child as a child reflects the likeness of his father as a result of the relationship that he has with him. So 
our life as Christians ought to be, well, they ought to be like sermons upon the life of Christ. And that's why we need the mind of Christ, because if we get that right, everything else is going to be all right. The question is, how do we, how do we get the mind of Christ? Uh, you know, by what means are we able to know the mind of Christ? Well, here's the answer. To know the mind of Christ, we have to consider the messages of Christ. If we want to know what Christ thinks, what his mind is, what's important to him, we have to listen to, to his word because we see his ways by means of his words. And so if I'm going to look to Jesus, then I've got to, I've got to listen to Jesus because that shows us how our life is to be conducted. So tonight, emphasizing the fact that we as Christians need the mind of Christ, I want to look at the things that Christ said that tell us what the mind of Christ was. And we'll look at it in several different regards and kind of jump all over the place. But, but whenever we're through, it'll give us a picture of what the mind of Christ was in relationship to different things. So let's start with the, his very first words over in Luke chapter 2. And verse number 49, we're just going to read one verse here. That's all we need to comment on. One verse, Luke 2, verse number 49. And remember, this statement was made when he was 12 years old. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Think about that. Here's a 12-year-old lad making it clear that, that this is his chief aim in life. The, the one thing above everything that he lived for and sought after was to glorify the Father by obedience to his word. And the, the Bible makes that perfectly clear. Every step of the way was according to the will of the Father. And he sums it all up there in John chapter number 8 where he said, for I do always those things that please him. Wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of uh, attitude? If that was our mind, the mind of Christ, that I, that I do always those things that please him. And if we have the mind of Christ, we're going to have the same attitude, you see. And, and if God's business isn't our business, we're out of business. We don't have any business pretending that we're doing the the work of the Lord, and, and that makes for a wasted life because a life that's well lived is a life that's spent doing the will of God from the heart. And so, you know, the question for all of us is, is what am I living for? What am I living for? Here we see the mind of Christ related to his commitment to the Father. Another verse of Scripture, over in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 2, we see the mind of Christ regarding compassion for others. And you know, whenever we have the proper attitude about our commitment to the Father, it will affect the attitude we have toward others. And, and here we see a picture of his compassion where he says, I have compassion on the multitude. You know, the evidence of that's there in John eleven thirty five, where it says Jesus wept. I mean, 
we know that Jesus cared. Uh, when Jesus explained the two great commandments, which you're well aware of, you know, that we're to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, and we're to love others as ourselves. He not only was giving us a command, he was describing what he did. And that's a fact that we can't deny because as we read through the Word of God, we see evidence of that over and over and over. His commitment to the Father, his compassion for others. Have you ever read the Lord's mission statement? Do you know where his mission statement is? Well, it's in Luke chapter number 4. If you want to turn there, this is the Lord's mission statement. You know, companies make a big deal out of having a mission statement, and that's well and good. I think that's a good thing to do. Uh, a lot of times individuals will have a mission statement. Well, this is the Lord's. Verse 18 of chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is His mission statement, and it's obvious from that that it required a compassion for other people. You know, those that were poor and those that were sick, those that were in need. Throughout all of this, we see him simply saying, you know, I've come into this world for the purpose of meeting the needs of other people. And, you know, I, I, I challenge you to just go through, go through the Gospels and look for the references to his compassion. Get a concordance, look up the word, find all of the references, and it relates to him feeding the hungry, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, unstopping the ears of the deaf, raising the dead, and, and, and all of those things, all of them were out of compassion. And boy, that always reminds me when I think about the compassion of the Lord of that old song that says, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. How true that is. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I mean, he, uh, there's never a moment in our life when he doesn't care. Even when we have gone astray and we are far out of his will, there's not a moment that we're out of his love. He cares about every one of us. So if we have the mind of Christ, you know, we're, we're going to be committed to the Father. We're going to be compassionate toward others. And then we see the mind of Christ in regards to his character. And over in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, he makes this statement about himself. And I could have picked numerous verses, but we're talking about his character and, and what he says about it. It's not what somebody else thinks about it. It's what he says about it. And, and he sums it all up when he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. I don't think anybody here would want to debate the fact that, you know, that Jesus was perfect in all of his ways. We all acknowledge that, you know. And believe me, whenever we say that, he was put to the test. More so than anybody that has ever lived on the face of the earth. We can't even imagine, we can't possibly comprehend the greatness of the temptation that was put upon him and when all was said and done even Pilate had to say I find no fault in this man 
and, and neither can anybody else because he's absolutely without fault, without sin in every way whatsoever. So the mind of Christ in regards to his character is I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness is not weakness, by the way. Uh, so many people, you know, think uh, somebody that's meek and mild that they're weak, and that's not true at all. That meekness, the old timers spoke about uh, meeking a mule or a horse, which means that they broke them to the point that they were uh, that they were compliant, to, you know, to, to to be obedient, and uh, so meekness has to do with us harnessing our desires and our abilities and what have you and using them in this case for the purpose of fulfilling our commitment to the heavenly father so character is one thing and we know what the lord thought about that uh, but but conduct is another thing and conduct grows out of character And Jesus said about the matter of conduct in John chapter 13 and verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I realize there are some folks that have taken that and tried to make a church ordinance out of it, and it's not a church ordinance. It never was. But in the doing of that, the Lord set forth a good example of how we are to minister one to another. And our conduct grows out of our character. Being always comes before doing. So many, you know, so many times in church, uh, preachers will be preaching messages about, well, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. And sometimes, you know, we get out of balance to the to the point, you know, that uh, we we confuse people and we're trying to get them to do something that they've never become. Being has to become before doing because what we are will determine what we do. And the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, verse 7 of Philippians 2 here, he humbled himself and took upon him what? The form of a servant. Now, we're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're talking about the one in whom no spot or blemish was found whatsoever. We're talking about the one who has all power in heaven and earth to do whatever he wants to do. And, and what does he choose? To become a servant. And the point of it is, based on what he says, based on his word, we see his ways. And, and having the mind of Christ, we're going to do what he did. So, you know, we can't work miracles like he did, right? I mean, we're helpless when it comes to working miracles. I've never raised anybody from the dead. I've never healed the sick. I've never given sight to the blind. I can't do any of those things. But we can minister to others just like he did. Uh, any, any Christian can do that. And every Christian ought to do that. So here we see what Jesus says about his conduct. Not only that, number five, we see what Jesus said in regards to the matter of courage. And sometimes we think about people that have a lot of compassion for others. That means that uh, that ultimately that they're going to lack courage to, you know, maybe to confront them uh, when, whenever it's necessary. You know, the older I get, the more less confrontational I want to be. That 
you know, I, I, I just hate bickering and arguing and stuff. And uh, I, I'd like to avoid that altogether. But I'm telling you, sometimes you can't avoid it. I mean, sometimes there's stuff that you've got to deal with, whether you like it or not. It's your responsibility to do. And we need not only compassion for other people, but we need the courage to do what is right when things have gone wrong. And there's no question whenever it comes to Jesus. He says in Mark 3 and verse 5, it says that he looked around about on them, now get this, with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Some folks got the idea that preachers ought to never get angry. Well, Jesus got angry. I don't think of all of you know, I've often said being right doesn't give you the right to be rude. And it doesn't. But it's one thing, you know, to be angry at people. Another thing to be angry about what people are doing. And that's the issue here. And he's noticed he is angry because of what's going on. He's grieved. That is, he's hurting in his heart because of the hardness of their heart. And boy, if you think he lacked courage, just ask the money changers there, you know, in John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, When he made a scourge of small cord and drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables, ask them if he lacked courage. I mean, to march in there and to tear up their little playhouse, you see. So a man's character is seen not only in what he stands for, but in what he stands against. A lot of people, you know, they'll stand for something, but they don't want to stand against anything. And, you know, we talk about the Lord being a God of love, but he's also a God of hate. God hates sin. In fact, the Bible is full of different things that speaks about the things that God hates. That'd make a good series of messages, the things that God hates. He hates things. And what God hates, we ought to hate. What God loves, we ought to love, you see. And so here we see the courage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we can't go through life dodging all of the issues, afraid to confront people when it's necessary. I'm not talking about being a troublemaker. I'm not talking about trying to censor everybody. I'm not trying, you know, looking over their shoulder and trying to find fault. God help us. We got enough of that. We don't need any more of that. But I'm talking about, you know, whether it's your coworker, whether it's a relative or whoever it is there comes a time you've got to have the courage to stand up for what is right even whenever it might offend somebody else and that we certainly see that in the lord you know he could have said well now wait a minute i i don't want to offend anybody it might it might hurt the crowd next week attendance might be down boy if i get over on that issue they're not going to like it they might go to some other congregation he just unloaded with both barrels on them. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes you don't help people by skirting around the truth and trying to pretend uh, like it's not an issue. And so he was dealing with the issue. Number six, in knowing the mind of Christ and looking at what the Lord said in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 12, we see here what he says about his communion with the Father. And, 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 and it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night 
in prayer to God. Now, I wish I had time to really deal with some of the things that he actually said uh, concerning that matter. And so many times we think, and, and certainly our uh, the Lord even warns us about the fact that we're not heard for our much repetition, you know. But there are times when we're to pray repeatedly about the same issue over and over and over. You know, the Bible tells us about Jesus and his example and where it says, and he prayed again. In other words, he prayed the same thing he prayed before. He prayed again. So we ought to be persistent in prayer without, you know, just mouthing the words and saying a prayer. We ought to be actually praying. And this is one of the many examples of the Lord getting alone and spending time in prayerful communion with the Father. Now, if that was needful for Jesus, how much more needful is that for us? Uh, preachers, you know, used to talk about how important it is for Christians to have what they call back then a quiet time. That was a time of devotion, you know. Uh, you can call it Bible study, whatever you want. But I'm telling you, that's not just for preachers. That ought to be for every single Christian. I know, I know everybody is busy. And I know when you get up in the morning that maybe you're one of those, the first thing you want is a cup of coffee, you know. You've got to have your coffee, you know. I had a preacher friend years ago by the name of John Hardy up in Kentucky, and he said, I'm an atheist until I've had my first cup of coffee in the morning. And... Uh, and, and you're busy, you know, people have got children, you got to get the kids out of bed, you got to do this. I'd, look, I don't know when it fits into your schedule. If you got to turn the TV off an hour earlier, go to bed an hour earlier, and then get up an hour earlier before anybody else. But whatever you do, I'm telling you, there's no Christian that, that can afford to not have a quiet time of prayerful communion with God and get into the Word of God because if we're going to be able to stand courageously before others, we're going to have to kneel before God. Now, I know, and, and, and I really gave it a lot of thought, I, I could have and normally probably would have mentioned this at the very beginning of, of the things that I'm talking about tonight, but... I wanted to put it here because it shows what's needed if we're going to have the mind of Christ. We've been talking about his commitment to the Father and his compassion for others, his character, his conduct, his courage, and, and all of those things. But without the, having communion with the Father, we're never going to have the mind of Christ in regards to those other things. If, if, if you know me very well at all, you know that I am, I don't know the right way to say it, I am addicted to Hebrews 12 and, and chapter 2, and, or, or chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, where he says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, in verse 3, consider him. I'm telling you, the, the whole key to the Christian life for all of us becoming what we ought to be is for us to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we should not just do occasionally once in a while when it's convenient. That's something that we ought to, we ought to be doing every day of our life because he goes on there in verse number 3, and as he talks about considering him, 
and he speaks about the suffering that he went through. But then he makes a statement, lest ye be wearied in your mind and faint. You know, why, why is it that so many fall by the wayside? Boy, they start out good. Man, they're just doing great. They're in church every time the doors are open. They're singing with all of their, all of their heart and they're studying their Bible. And then little by little by little, all of a sudden, you can see the falling away starting to take place. And, and, and thank God for those that are so faithful week after week and year after year. And I could start calling out names and you folks that are here just about every Wednesday night. And I, and I know there's a lot of folks that would be if they could be. But thank God for those that are so faithful year after year. But I'm telling you, folks, that's not the norm. That's, uh, that's, or maybe I should say that's not the average because, as you well know, the average person that makes a profession of faith, they might be red hot one day, but it's usually a matter of time until they just fade away into the sunset. And the reason that happens is simply because they have taken their focus off the Lord Jesus Christ. They're either mad at the preacher, they're mad at their spouse, they're mad at somebody in the church, things didn't go their way. And whenever we get our eyes off of Jesus, it's all downhill. It's all downhill. Our spiritual growth comes to a screeching halt. We never become all that we ought to be whenever we lose our focus on Him. Now, there's one other thing that I want to point out. We're talking about having the mind of Christ, understanding what the mind of Christ was, what he thought, you know, and we see that by the things that he said because whatever he said is revealing, you know, what he thought. And, and so over in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 46, and boy, this is bringing us right down to the end of the road for the earthly life of Christ here and uh, I, I don't have any words to even describe this but it speaks about his calmness his calmness in the face of danger and death and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice he said father into thy hands I commend my spirit and having said thus he gave up the ghost now, keep in mind, he is facing the most horrific suffering ever inflicted on anyone. And uh, he could have resisted, by the way. He could have called the angels down from heaven, any number of angels down from heaven to be delivered, but he didn't. In fact, in fact, he even prayed for those that, that had attacked him. For the very ones that nailed him to the cross, the very ones that call for his crucifixion, the very ones responsible for his death, hanging on that cross, he prayed for them. I mean, how calm is that? And all of us wonder, you know, we might not be thinking about death itself at the moment, but we wonder in regards to the dangerous situations that we face in life, the difficult things in life, and how are how we, how we going to deal with those issues? If we have the mind of Christ, 
we'll have the composure and the calmness that we need to get us through whatever it is we're going through. But whenever I think of that, we, we, we can't afford to be without the mind of Christ. Can you imagine what a different world this would be if we all had the mind of Christ? Imagine the difference it would make just in your life alone the difference it would make in every area of your life if we had the mind of Christ. You, you know, back in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in one of the verses there, Paul tells us that he had the mind of Christ. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? Here is a man that is writing about the mind of Christ, and, and, and he speaks about several of the things related to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man speaking about it is a man who had the mind of Christ. By his own confession, he had the mind of Christ. And so now he comes to the book of Philippians, and he says, And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And Lord willing, if we look at this later on, I'll back up to the first four verses and what goes in chapter 3. And we see what all of this is related to. He is, he is speaking to a church and showing them the need of them all being of one mind. And being of one mind, that one mind is for everybody to have the mind of Christ. Did you know in the book of Philippians, for example, in every single chapter of that letter, he speaks to them about them having the same mind, being of the same mind. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if, you know, if every member of the church was on the same page, if they all, you know, had the same mind? Wow, what God could do in a church like that where we all had the same mind. I was reading today there in Acts, and you think about, what happened on the day of Pentecost? And you think about, wow, what a wow moment that was in the history of the church. You know, 3,000 souls being saved. How could something like that happen? Well, here's, it starts out in the upper room with 120. And this one statement tells the story. They were all, not some of them, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. All of them. Every member of that early church at that particular time was filled with the Spirit of God. Every one of them living their life under the control of God's Spirit. Now, I realize there will never be another Pentecost per se. I understand that. But there is no limit to what God could and would do today if every member of any church was filled with the Spirit. I'm every member, a Spirit-filled Christian, every member having the mind of Christ in regards to, to absolutely ev everything in life. To think like He thought. The whole purpose tonight has simply been to take you on a journey through the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and hearing from Him and what He said so we would know the mind of Christ. And the only question that's left is whether or not we'll listen to what he said. That's the big question. 
And, uh, you know, most of the time there will be some that won't. You know, it's real easy for us to, to admire his words. To, you know, think about the Sermon on the Mount and read that and admire the, the words that he spoke or to admire his works. You know, think about the, all of the great miracles. That's one thing. It's another th- thing for us to conform to his ways. And that's exactly what God's desire for each and every one of us is. You know, all, we're all time quoting Romans 8 and verse number 28. And very seldom do we ever think about verse 29 and what it's all about. You know, the fact that he has predestinated us to be what? Conformed to his image. That's, that's what it's all about. That God, you know, whether it's through the trials and the difficulties of life, whether it's through the teaching of God's Word, the inspiration of worship, whatever it is, it's all about God conforming us to the image of Christ. And that's why Paul said there in Romans chapter number 12, be ye conformed. Be not, tra- be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, what? What did he say? By the renewing of your mind. And, and, and in order to have the, you know, the right mindset, we've got to think like Jesus did. Because when we think like he did, uh, you know, we're not going to be thinking wrong. We'll have it right. Well, I hope tonight, if nothing else, it'll be, you know, give you something to think on, something to meditate on during this next week. And, uh, and certainly that it'll be a challenge to each and every one of us. It's so easy for us to go off on a tangent, isn't it? And boy, sometimes it doesn't take anything to get us so distracted that all of a sudden we've gone the whole day without giving any serious thought to the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means for us to, to you know, to think like He does. So thank you for being here and your faithfulness. Any.